0: Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Sitting perhaps on top of a, of a house, a, a patio, that's what they did back then. They still do it today in the Middle East. It gets so hot over there during the day that the houses just get so miserable to be inside. that when the sun goes down, they like to go up on top of their homes, kind of the roof, uh, kind of a patio on top of the roof. And then the breeze picks up and the temperature comes down, of course. They like to be outside to enjoy that. That's what I picture Nicodemus is doing here. They're up on this roof and they're speaking. When suddenly a gentle wind... Sent by Jesus because we know he controls the wind and the waves. He's going to talk about this wind. I just imagine this wind coming by and Jesus making the statement that he just made. The wind comes. You don't know where it comes from. In fact, you don't know where it's going. But yet, you feel its presence. You understand there's a wind, but you don't know where it's going. Jesus described the wind as a force. You cannot see coming or going. The Spirit that comes into a person at salvation and takes up residency is neither seen with the eyes nor heard with one's ears, and yet it is the most powerful force known to mankind that we can experience. It is God coming into your life and my life at salvation. The Spirit speaks to the unbeliever and convicts. That's that's how a person comes to Christ when the Spirit begins to, to knock down the walls that are in the way, when the, the Spirit convicts a sinner like me in the middle of the night, and I cried out, he, he was just saying, you've been a fraud all these years, Ben. You've not come to Christ. You've not come to me. You've, you've checked these boxes, but that's not coming to Christ. Going to church won't make you a Christian. Your spouse can't make you a Christian. They can't grandfather you in. Your parent, You know, I believe my parents are Christian. I must be one. For sure. I inherited it. No, that's not how it works. You choose for yourself. And when that happens, the Spirit of God comes inside and He takes up residency in your life. And He begins to convict and to speak. He guides. He protects our hearts and minds. Don't look at that. Hey, don't go over there anymore. Those people aren't going to be good for you. Stay out of that place. That's only going to end in heartache. The spirit, you ever done that? Don't do that. Ben, mm-mm, that's not good. Ben, that guy cut you off. You need to turn your Christian music up a little louder. Yeah, and he begins to change you and me. And, and as you grow in wisdom and knowledge, you begin to sense him better. And the more you sense him, the more you draw closer. And he goes, yes, come to me. Yes. A little closer. Yes. And we begin to grow in our faith. This Pharisee Nicodemus, he knew the facts of scripture, but not the truth and certainly not its application. And Jesus is trying to explain this. He's trying to broaden this. It's not about the law, Nicodemus. I came to fulfill the law. And in so doing, I'm going to hand it you grace. You're not going to work for this. You could never keep the law. The law was just a mirror to, to show yourself that you're incapable of keeping the law. And so I bring you grace. Jesus was using simple analogies, and yet... Nick still didn't understand, so Jesus continues to build on his teaching here. Now he's gonna go deeper. Four analogies of salvation. Number one, salvation is like rebirth. Number two, salvation is like the wind. And number three, salvation is like a snake. What? How, how does that fit in here? Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's important to understand the context here. I mean, where do snakes fit into this picture? Over 1,300 years before Jesus made this statement, a man named Moses led the captives of Israel out of Egypt, and they're supposed to march To the promised land that God had promised them to give them. And and so they began this trip, but along the way, as they walked, the people began to grumble and complain. They, you know, this is this it's hot out here. I don't I'm tired of manna. Manna tacos. (laughs) Manna burgers. You know, fried manna. I mean, it just goes on. I'm tired of that. And God's going, I'm providing you food. I'm providing you sandals that don't wear out. I've given you everything you need. I'm protecting you. There There are nations that they're walking through that God's holding back the armies. And you're going to complain that you don't like the food? Really? Okay. So God warns them and warns them and warns them, knock it off. Listen, I love you. I'm going to provide for you. Be grateful. Be thankful. Trust me. No, they're not going to do that. They begin to question Moses. And they begin to make charges against him and thereby questioning God himself. Because God's told them, I'm speaking through Moses. These aren't Moses' words. These are words that God has told him to speak. So by questioning what he's saying, he's they're questioning God's provision on their life. God is patient, but there comes a time when discipline must be met out. So here's how God does it. He sends serpents into the camps. And these serpents have a venom in them that are it's like fire as it goes through your veins. They're painful. And if you get bitten by one of these snakes, you are going to die. And so people start dropping dead. All through the camps. And they start talking. There's snakes. They're they're everywhere. They're coming in our tent. They're coming. This is terrible. Moses, you got to talk to God. If I'm Moses, I'm like, oh, really? (laughs) You were complaining and accusing him, but now you want him? Okay. So Moses goes to God and he says, "God, please, what do we got to do? Let's make this. We want to make this right with you. Please, people are dying." God says, "Okay, all right. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to, you're going to create a snake out of of bronze. You're going to cast it out of bronze, and then you're going to put it on top of a very long pole." And then you're going to go out there, and you're going to stick this pole in the middle of camp. Now, there's somewhere between estimates are 400,000 Israelites. Maybe more. I've heard estimates as high as a million. I don't know where I sit on that. But this pole has to be pretty high for that many people to be in a camp. To be able to look up and to be able to see this pole perhaps, you know, half a mile, three-quarters of a mile away. So he puts it up, and he tells the people, listen, anybody bitten by a serpent, all you have to do is look up in faith, and you'll live. Now, snake bites continue. People run out of their tent or wherever they're at. Where's the pole? Where's the pole quick? It's, it's out there. See it? Yes, God, I, I believe you. And they're healed. Jesus says, "You remember that, Nick? Oh, sure. He's the Pharisee of Pharisees. He could tell that story in his sleep. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. In that way, so must the man. Son of Man be lifted up. Now, that lifted up, that, that word in the Greek, it means that, that we just talked about, the pole being lifted up. They would, he, right away, Nicodemus went, I got it. I understand that. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. In the modern day, con- in their modern day context, to be lifted up was not a good thing. It was, a, it was akin to crucifixion. Jesus going, yeah, they, we lifted the, the, the snake on the pole up but so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Wait a minute, you're talking crucifix. I mean, this is what a blown, fair, again, Nicodemus is mine. Wait a minute, uh, if you're the Messiah, what, you're going to die, what? It, it just blows his mind. Listen, every person that's ever been born has been bitten by the serpent of sin. Every one of us, not one of us, came into this world apart from sin. We're all sinners in need of grace. We're all sinners with poison running through our veins. And the only antidote is Jesus Christ. The only antidote is what He did on the cross. The only antidote, the hope of all of us, is His blood running down that cross. Why? Because He died for my sin and He died for your sin. And apart from that, we'd still be guilty With the sentence of death, you and I were born. And the only way out of that is to accept what Jesus did to look up at the one who was crucified. Paul would spend his whole life talking about this and referencing this. My life verse, Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul was saying, I step, I die to myself. I can't save myself. I need Jesus to come and take residence in my life. I need the Spirit. I need Him to give me life. That's the only hope we have of getting out of this life alive. So now anyone who wants to live, anyone who wants salvation and life can look up at the one that was slain on our behalf. And in so doing, receive the antidote of the blood of Christ that forever heals the venom of sin. So with that in mind, I've tried to give and provided you some kind of context as we go into perhaps the greatest verse in all the Bible. Think about what you just heard, because this is the context that Jesus is speaking in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent, I'm going to give you I'm going to speak into this. I don't normally do this. If you know me, I don't I don't tear verses apart and, and and rewrite them. But listen to what I'm going to say on this one. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness on the pole, remember that? Even so must the son of man be lifted up on the cross to shed His blood, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So what was God's motive? Why would He do this? We're sinners. We've broken His law. We've done what He's told us not to do. What is His motivation to ever come back and change the game for us? Well, here it is. John 3.16 the greatest verse, I believe, in all the Bible. You remember, he's talking about all of this, and he starts 16 with this. For, which also means in the Greek, because of, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to be high and lifted up on the cross, that whoever believes in Him should not perish from the snakebite of sin, but have everlasting life For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, although He could have. He had a right to. But that the world through Him might be saved. People are dying every single day without Christ. They're dying from the venom of sin. God has provided His Son to be lifted up and anyone that will look to Him for salvation will receive it. The question is this, what will you do with Jesus? Each one of us must answer this question. It will be the the question when we face God for the first time. If you've taken Jesus and said, God, I want to turn away from my sin, I want to turn away from my life. I want to look to you for my salvation. I'm a sinner. I want what Jesus did, shed His blood on this cross. I want His death to apply to me. I want the forgiveness that He purchased. I want that for my life. Anyone that prays that prayer is saved. Holy Spirit comes into this person, takes up residency, and you begin to grow in your new faith. However, you can make a different choice. You can say, I don't believe in that pole. I don't believe that there's a person up there. And I'm going to live life my way, on my terms. I did it my way. What a fool. I don't want to do it my way. I mess everything up. I want to do it his way. He's provided the way. The only way, salvation requires and begins with our belief in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Those who have believed and those who will believe will look up and receive the antidote and be saved. He who believes, verse 18, he who believes in Jesus is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Remember, we're born into it with sin. We're already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's only one way to be saved. People will say, well, let's just all get along. You ever seen those bumper stickers coexist? Yeah, everybody, I mean, right, come on, at the end of the day, everybody's going to go to heaven. Well, that's wishful thinking. A fool would think that. There's one way. And God's provided one way. Listen, we come into this world one way. you got to have a mom, Right? There's no other way. God's made one way for you to be reborn, and it's through His Son, Jesus Christ. He didn't have to. Can you imagine the love so intense? It's beyond our mind to comprehend that God Himself would look down upon us sinners and say, Jesus, go on down there i want you to show them how to live you're going to live perfect life of course you're god and you're going to go to the cross and you're going to shed your blood you're going to pay for the sin of the world god so loved the world he gave he gave that's a love that we can't even describe it's beyond our ability for analogies of salvation Salvation is like rebirth. Salvation is like the wind. Salvation is like a snake. And in closing, salvation is like illumination. It's like illumination. Jesus is trying to pound down all of what Nicodemus has come to understand or believe. He's trying to pound it down. It's not about the law, Nicodemus. It's not about what you can do. It's about what I'm going to do for you. Salvation is like illumination. Verse 19, And this is the condemnation. Uh Uh-oh. That the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. I grew up in a a home not knowing that we were poor. No one ever told me we were poor. So I didn't know it. How about everybody lived like us? We were poor. And one day I asked my dad before he died, I turned to him and we were talking about some stuff, and I said, Dad, were we poor? And he almost spit out his malt. (laughs) He'd be laughing and he goes, Yeah? And he goes, you're just realizing this? And I said, well, I've kind of added all this up, and uh, it kind of adds up to that we were pretty poor. And he goes, yeah, we were. But as I remember, just one of the many things I could go on about, but I'll just tell you one. One of the things growing up, uh, where we lived, it was out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, My dad had been laid off and was doing his best to provide for his family, worked nights at the sawmill, where all his... All the, all the other workers were missing fingers and stuff, and you catch them in the saw. And, and my dad shows up, and they're going, Oh, great, a guy with 10 fingers, come over here. <laughs> and so he began to work, and then he worked hard. And all he could provide at that time was this old abandoned um, house that was out, I guess it was, it was a farmer's house, and it had uh, tr- apple trees. An apple, it was an apple orchard. And I can remember this place was, it was like living, it was like camping. It was wild. I mean, the slats in the, in the, in the floorboards were, you know, half an inch wide. And you never knew what was going to come up, you know, a mouse or, you know. Um, so I remember, though, coming home and throwing on the lights, and there would be like, you know, 200 cockroaches on the ground. And they were just hanging out until you turned on the light. <laughs> and what do cockroaches do when you turn on the light? And they just start running over each other. Yeah, they're trying to get out of there. They don't want the light hitting them. We better move on. This is a bad analogy. but (laughs) Yeah, that was dangerous. Listen, they don't want the truth exposed. Why are bars open late at night? Why are these clubs open late at night? They're not open at 9 (laughs) a.m. Nobody would come out. Hey, well, the lights are on. No, what if you know Jim Bob sees me walking in there? That's not good. I'll wait till you know midnight to do this stuff when it's dark. Because they don't want their deeds exposed. But Jesus continues: He who does the truth comes to the light. He's drawn by the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they may have been done in god the person who walks in truth doesn't hide they don't need to they don't have to fear the phone call ringing they don't need to be worried about i mean they're walking in truth no need to hide when the light is put on them belief and obedience go hand in hand nicodemus's problem and the hurdle he needed to get over was that he was attempting to remove the requirement belief in jesus grace in favor of continuing under the law. So he was struggling with this concept. And no one can keep the law. Every one of us has sinned, as I've I've said. We've fallen short. Listen, we can't obey our way into heaven. It's just not going to work. We need Jesus. That's the only way. So God provided His Son Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin. Anyone who believes in Christ will be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the the world through Him might be saved. Listen, this time that we're talking about, Jesus came to save. He came to lay His life down. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. He did so freely so that you and I might have salvation now. There is a time He's coming back and He will judge the world. Listen, you don't want to be in the courtroom at this time. You don't want to meet Jesus as your judge. You want to meet Him as your Savior. I can't drive that, that, that point home enough. One day, there will be many, most, whoever lived, will be standing in line to be judged on their own merit where only one sin will cause them to have eternal judgment in a place called hell. But if you will lay your life down, if you will repent and turn and look up and surrender your life to Christ, you will begin a relationship with God now, right now, as the Spirit comes to live within you. And then, of course, you get heaven on the other end. The choice is yours to make. If I could make it for you, if I could press the easy button, I would press it a thousand times for you. But you have to make your own decision. God doesn't have any grandkids. And there's no grandfathering in like I thought. You make the decision, and then you'll live with it or die with it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you For your promises. We thank you for your word that is true and it is reliable and we can put our faith in it and you. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. You love the world so much that you gave your only son for us. That just blows our minds. There is no word, there's no measure of thankfulness that can that can meet that kind of love and grace and mercy. So this morning, we just, we just lift our hands to You, Lord, and say thank You. Thank You for what You did for us. Father, I pray if there's even one here this morning in, in the overflow room or perhaps watching from home on the Internet, maybe they're even here listening to this message in their car on the radio. Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation, that your Holy Spirit would just pound down their walls of resistance and that they would surrender so that they might find freedom in you, a freedom that lasts forever. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit restoredcommunitychurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to his word.